wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm Minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in the absolutely glorious uh, city of Adelaide. Uh, I'm also your Drive Time host every Tuesday and Wednesday. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. Look, folks, I'd love to have you uh, come and, and join with us. Look, if you've got a, a positive thought, if you've got a comment on one of the issues that we're going to discuss, if you just simply love to say, hey, uh, how's it going in Adelaide? Hello to you guys down there. Uh, you can do this by simply texting us on our studio text number. That number's 04888. 80811 04888-80811. Uh, now this week uh, we're looking at a, uh, at a theme uh, which uh, challenges so many people and yet it comes from such a simple background. This week we're looking at the theme Radical Teachings in the Parables of Jesus Christ. And today we're speaking about the parable of the hurting God. Uh, some, some actually would call it the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, now, this is, this I believe, uh, is an incredible teaching parable. It touches hearts. It changes minds. Uh, this parable uh, has something that I believe will impact uh, your life. Uh, today, our co-host is Eric Hoare, uh, and uh, of course, Eric, it's welcome, it, welcome uh, back to uh, uh, co-hosting again. Yeah, thanks, Pastor Gary. It's great to be here. It's almost like I've come back on a summer's day with eighteen degrees. I tell you what, look, I, um, uh, the last three weeks we've had uh, Pastor Don Philberg. He's been sharing every single day. He's been doing an absolutely fantastic job. We were talking about the uh, the Reformation, and do we still need it today? And we uh, looked at that. Uh, and uh, certainly concluded that, hey, this is something that uh, uh, certainly does challenge our church uh, in the day and age in which we live. But over the last three weeks, you've taken some opportunity to actually have some holidays. I believe you went up to Cairns. Yes, yeah, we flew to Cairns, uh, direct flights, and uh, stayed in Cairns and got a little a little car to travel around in. And, uh, oh, we had a, such a wonderful time. Just the wife and I got away. I got a happy wife deal uh, at the hotel where we got a good rate on our room. What is a happy wife deal? I like that. I like <laughs> the sound of that. I recommend it to all the fellas out. Out there to think about this one. Uh, it was one where um, they give you um, um, a, a really good rate for two weeks. We stayed there, and uh, on arrival we got a box of chocolates. We got a bottle of bubbly, and I'd already told them that we I don't, we don't drink alcohol, so yes. we so we got a mocktail down at the bar, which was quite nice. And um, and they made a fuss of us. And uh, yeah, we went out uh, uh, every few days. We travelled around. We went up to Karunda there on the train, and that's a wonderful trip to go. Oh. Oh, on yeah, that train. Yeah. Have you been up there, Gary? I have, I have. I love that. Yep. That Coranda Rail is fantastic. Yep. You know, going to the Atherton Tablelands. Mm. I had the privilege of living up there once upon a time. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I must say hello to all my mates up in uh, uh, that part of the part of the world. You know, the reef, uh, the uh, Coranda Rail. And did you go the Skyway coming home? Yeah, we did. We came back. And I'm, I'm a bit scared of heights, but um, uh, on that one, it was quite good. I sat there and uh, chatted to a couple of people that were visiting, one from Scotland 
Zealand, one from England, and uh, they'd been to New Zealand where I was born, and we had a great time. So it took my mind off this, but that was a beautiful trip. Yeah. We went and saw the crocodiles and uh, all that, st- uh, the touristy sort of things. We had some lovely meals out and a beautiful walk along the Esplanade there. Yeah. I mean, every day uh, was about 26 degrees, and uh, it got down, I think, a couple of nights down to 12. They reckon they were having a cold snap there, which we were laughing about. Uh, and uh, But mainly it got down about 18. Every day was just a lovely day, and we really enjoyed it. But it's great to be back. We've acclimatised back. And, uh, you know, sometimes you come back from holiday and you feel you need a holiday. Yeah. Well, we didn't do that. We we yeah. had some leisure time, and so we feel really refreshed, ready to yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I fully agree with you. Cause all, the, all that you've said about that part of the world, I uh, this is the time of the year to certainly be yeah. up at that uh, that that area because you can actually yeah. swim um, in in the ocean. You swim in the ocean? No, no. <laughs> you didn't. i got to be honest. The water was a bit cold for me, and uh, uh, there are some places is there that I've got a lot of crocodiles around, uh, which I'm not fond of. Uh, but we just relaxed by the pool, and uh, the water was too cold for me as an old fella now. Yeah. But uh, it was just relaxing. Took a, took our books and uh, did a bit of reading, and uh, just relaxed and and did our own thing. Uh, just a tour. Because there were a lot of people there from um, Melbourne and Canberra escaping the cold. But you're mm. right. July, July is the best time to go. We found, and uh, we went on uh, the last night there. We went. On on a little catamaran where they take you out and they give you a meal on the catamaran. You see the sunset at night, and that yeah. was the final night. Yeah, yeah. And oh, wife, that's lovely. Wife really loved it. Yeah, that's lovely. Look, let's come to our uh, world religion news report. And uh, I, in reading the the news media, I, I'm always uh, challenged by some of the things that I do actually uh, uh, read. But uh, today, I actually uh, read read something. It was actually in the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, so it comes here from Oz. Uh, not often we can actually get uh, a lot of uh, religious news out of. Uh, out of Oz, but uh, uh, an article was talking about the about the Anglican Church and uh, particularly the leadership over there. And uh, it's one of those articles that I felt was a very positive article. And uh, you know, to me, I, I just wanted to, to commend them. Uh, this is um, this is what it was entitled: uh, "Charming and Unapologetic Sydney's Anglican Archbishop Isn't Afraid to Be Out of Step with the Times." Now, that was the thing that really jumped out at me. You know, uh, do we find uh, um, religious people being prepared to challenge their times. Well, I just uh, just kept reading, and uh, it talked about the election of the uh, Archbishop of Sydney. Uh, actually, he, they suggested it broke the mould. His predecessors uh, are all of European descent. His heritage is Sri Lankan. Uh, many of those who went before him were sons from Sydney's Anglican dyna- dynasties and attended some of the sandstone schools. He moved to Australia as a boy, went to Carlingford High. But the most unusual thing about Raphael, the Archbishop, uh, in the annals of Christian uh, archbishops is that for the first 21 years of his life, he was a Buddhist. He meditated, chanted. uh, He chanted Buddhist prayers and went to the temple. He watched his mother, a doctor, who was widowed young, perform acts of charity to accrue merit for her late husband. But all that changed one night, one sleepless summer night, when he picked up a gospel given to him by a friend. By dawn, he said, he was a Christian. In a sense, it was kind of unavoidable, he says. I actually couldn't do anything else. The 57-year-old 
is, accom- is accustomed to heat, he says. He was elected as Sydney's Anglican leader a little over a year ago and is presiding over the diocese that is increasingly at odds with the views held by many in the city and even the views of its fellow Australian Anglicans when it comes to women, divorce and same-sex relationships. Parents at Anglican schools are fighting an edict from Sydney Synod, a kind of Anglican parliament, requiring principals to affirm that marriage is between a man and a woman due to its view that men and women are designed for different roles. Sydney also remains one of the few English-speaking dioceses to refuse to ordain women as priests. Divorce is bad too. A few years ago, a popular rector had to resign from his parish because of because his marriage had ended. Raphael, uh, the archbishop, is funny, charming and diplomatic. He's even been described, even by some who disagree with him, as a nice chap. But he also ever so politely, is totally unapologetic. Sydney's Anglicans, he says, won't be changing their interpretation of the Bible to suit the times. There's no doubt that we're at the counter-cultural end rather than the culturally accommodating end, he says. It isn't a matter of pig-headedness. We're simply trying to follow Jesus. Now, when I read this, I sort of thought, hey, you know, here we have a man that to me certainly appears to have his head uh, screwed on. Uh, uh, critics argue that the Sydney crew takes the Bible too literally. But he does believe, he believes that when the Old Testament, the Gospels, the Epistles are consistent on an issue such as marriage being between a man and a woman, then that's that. That teaching has been affirmed, he says. Jesus is kind of counter-cultural, and he was in his own day. And I think it's right to say the Christians that have made the biggest impact are probably the ones who are willing to stick with Jesus, even when it's culturally awkward. Now, you know, when I read that sort of article, to to me, that's an incredibly positive article because to me, continually, what we're trying to show here on the, uh, uh, on Faith FM is that, you know, following the Word of God is so essential if, in fact, we're going to follow what, uh, what Jesus, uh, did teach when he was on this earth. Now, look, Eric, tell me something. To what extent do you feel that, you know, Christianity should challenge culture? And, you know, how do you, th- you know, if so, how do you think they should challenge culture? Well, it's interesting in this article, um, uh, Pastor Gary, that he said he picked up a Bible and by dawn he was a Christian. And he said, in a sense, it was kind of unavoidable. He says he couldn't do anything else. So he had a change in his uh, thinking uh, that now he was uh, following the scriptures, that uh, he was following the printed word, and that had changed his life. It made, gave him a different thought pattern to the culture around him. And that's a challenge today, isn't it, for all of us, that as Christians we live in a world yeah. that is progressively throwing the Bible away, basically, and all it stands for. Yeah. And a lot of these folks haven't even underst- uh, have read it to understand it. And um, the challenge is that we have today is that we need to stand on, on what the Bible uh, gives us as a grounds to stand on. Why? For our own good 
but not only for us, for our families. And forevermore, we see a shifting in uh, what happened last year to this year. Things are always shifting into a different thought pattern on how we should handle things. Yeah. When the Bible tells, I mean, we've got the Ten Commandments, for instance, that gives us a clear guideline uh, about even adultery, for instance, and and uh, respecting your parents. So these are just uh, are things that were common for all of us, yeah. but are now sort of um, a lot of these things have been thrown away when you yeah, think yeah. about it. So now we need to see that. And I really admire this man that he that he's standing up because you lose friends. You know, yeah. he'll have his critics. Yeah, uh, he'll have those that will back him up. But you lose a lot of friends. I we all have to do it when we make those. Have you stands. found that in your life? Oh, definitely. I lost a lot of friends when. Um, when I studied the scripture, uh, I lost probably three quarters of my friends, uh, and a quarter kind of stayed with me. Mm. Uh, in fact, I'm going back to New Zealand next year and hoping to catch up with a lot of those people. Mm. Um, but yeah, they just, um, they didn't want to be around me because I stopped doing what they were doing, and that's what he's saying here. He didn't, he didn't want to carry, do what the world is doing. Mm. He wants to do what the Bible's telling them to do. Yeah. And we've got that choice, haven't we? But as Christians, I think we have that in our hearts to follow the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing. And in following the Bible, we're actually following uh, Jesus Christ himself because if you think about it, you know, Jesus was probably one of the most countercultural people that has ever come to this earth. I mean, when I think of some of the things that he did, you know, I mean, just think, you know, I mean, he goes into the temple and, of course, the temple is to be a, a place that is held with reverence. Uh, and, of course, they were buying and selling uh, their uh, chicken and um, sheep and goats and everything in the in the temple forecourt. And uh, Christ came and upset their tables and, you know, take, take these out of my father's house was his statement. And then he called the religious leaders of the day hypocrites because of the – you know, I mean, how do you, how do you be countercultural? Do you have to upset people to that extent to be countercultural? Well, I think it means, you know, making a, a strong stand, but it's the way you go about it. Um, if in our lives we go to make a different stand on things that's opposite, I think that we can do it um, just by by doing it the right way without over-criticising those that are in that, doing those actions. I think that's yeah. the key, the way we handle it. Now, I mean, Christ upturned the tables here. Here, here was uh, a time when he, he stood up and uh, they were making profit for something spiritual, supposed to be, yeah. and they were mainly, yeah. a lot of the poor people were, were paying more 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 of a price for that. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's telling us here that there are times that we need to stand up strongly yeah. uh, and voice our concerns when we see an injustice. That's what I think it's talking about here in the spiritual world. But I think by following Christ, I think he gives us uh, the words to say uh, and he and leads wisdom. us. And wisdom, wisdom, for sure, to handle situations that we need to stand up on, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's uh, that, 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 that's wonderful, wonderful advice there, there Eric. I, as I read that article, uh, the conclusion I certainly ca- came to is that uh, within the world in which we're living now, if ever there's a time to be countercultural uh, as Christians, it's actually right now because the culture itself is actually moving. It used to be um, we could say, hey, look, you know, stay fairly close to the centre of the road, but the trouble is the road is actually moving uh, a long way uh, from uh, certainly any uh, principled foundations that uh, uh, certainly 
uh, were there for uh, a significant period of time in the Judeo-Christian background. Yeah, well, we're asked, aren't we, to be the salt and the light of the world. And the light means to bring light where there's darkness and salt to flavour an unhappy world into a happy world. And that's the key, isn't it, that these little lights around the world, still sparkling today, that there's still a core group who believe in Christ, who will stand up for what he is saying because the rest of the world is going the wrong way and he wants everybody to be saved and where to be those lights sharing that light yeah yeah no thank you so much for that eric really appreciate it let's come to some music this is jeff bullock the great southland this is your nation this is your land this common future This land of harvest, this is your land, this is a home. This is a great Southland of the Holy Spirit, land of red dust plains and summer rains. And in this sunburned land, we have seen His love to this great Southland. Spirits come. This is your nation. This is your land. This land of plenty. This land of hope. The richest harvest is in her people from age to age. Your spirits come.
was Jeff Bullock, uh, the great Southland. I remember many years ago going to a concert where, where Jeff uh, Bullock uh, featured a powerful, powerful uh, concert. Really touched the hearts and the minds of the uh, individuals were were there. Um, really do appreciate his uh, his style of uh, style of music. That's Jeff Bullock, the great uh, great Southland. Uh, and of course, today we do have a giveaway uh, for you. The uh, giveaway is a is a little book uh, entitled "The Prodigal Father: Story of the God's Prodigal Grace." Now, this is a real little beauty. This is done by uh, David Marshall. The Bible has many prodigal sons and daughters, but only one a prodigal father. The focal picture of God's revelation of Himself through Scripture is the Father. In Jesus' story of the lost son. Now that's the story that we're dealing with today. In this, uh, in, uh, in the father, there is no unchrist likeness at all. If we think there is, it's because we have misunderstood something. Grace arches over both testaments like a rainbow. The invitation of grace sounds through Every book of scripture. Now, this, uh, this book, uh, The Prodigal Father, do you know there are so many people out there who see the Father as being an angry God? Jesus being loving and kind, but the Father being an angry God. Uh, if that's your picture of God, can I assure you, you have totally the wrong picture, uh, of the Father. We're going to look at the Father today. And, uh, that's certainly not the picture that comes out in this parable. And it's not the picture that comes out in the rest of the scriptures either. Uh, today, uh, uh, the book that we're offering is The Prodigal Father. Now, look, if you'd like your own copy of uh, of this book, uh, then please text us here at the studio, and uh, that number is uh, 04 uh, 80811-048-80811. And all you need to do is to put into that text just a code. The code is SA67. No gap between the SA and the 67. SA67, just in one, just four letters. And, uh, and, uh, that will trigger our robot. So they used to call him Faithful, but now they call him Pilgrim. They've changed his name. I don't know why they changed his name, but You'll be put in contact with uh, Pilgrim. A uh, Pilgrim uh, will uh, get a few details off you so that we can get this book to you in the fastest possible way. Now, that number again is 04888. 80811, that's our text number. Also, if you've got any thoughts or comments that you'd like to make about anything we're discussing here, please feel free to also use that, uh, that text number and, uh, you can, uh, you can share, uh, your, uh, your thoughts or your, uh, or your comments. And, uh, that code again is SA, uh, 60, uh, 67. Now, we do want to welcome you, uh, welcome you back again. You are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with, uh, Pastor Gary. And today our co-host is, uh, Eric Hoare. And Eric's actually a, he's been a printer by trade. He's worked in so many different areas. He's worked as a, as a literature evangelist selling, uh, religious literature door to door, uh, for most of his life. Uh, currently he's, uh, pastoring in his, uh, uh semi-retirement, the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh Day Adventist Church and does a fantastic job there and is greatly appreciated. And this week we are looking at the theme, Radical Teachings About the Parables of Christ. And today we're speaking about the parable, I call it the parable of the hurting God, but some uh, call it the 
parable of the a prodigal son. Now, of course, this is a parable that is, is so well known that it's very easy to glance over uh, this parable as being something that's almost uh, insignificant. And yet the lessons behind it are powerful, powerful, powerful. Let, let me just read. Uh, Eric, before we start, can I just read just a little bit from the scriptures? Because this story, I'm conscious that there may be some who aren't even aware of it. So let me share it with you. It, it actually comes from, I'm reading from uh, Luke chapter chapter uh, 15 and uh, it's verse 11 and uh, this is uh, this is how the parable goes and he said a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the portion of goods that falls to me so he divided him uh, his livelihood and after not many days uh, the younger son gathered everything together journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living don't you can you imagine being this father eric this is this is horrendous uh, but when he had spent it all there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him who sent him into the fields to feed swine and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. And then he came to himself. He said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and then some to spare? But I sit here perishing with hunger. I'll arise. And go to my father. I will say to him, Father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. He had compassion. He ran and fell on his neck. He kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and put sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to make merry. Now, I, I love uh, this, this particular parable. It actually says just so much to me, me Eric. I mean, I feel for this father. Uh, I mean, that's why I call this, uh, this parable the parable of the hurting God, the parable of the hurting father. It says so much about the father himself. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. What title do you think's best, Eric? The parable of the hurting father or the parable of the prodigal son (laughs) (laughs) well in my bible it's called the parable of the lost son Mm. the one that's gone i i think you know pastor gary i'm so excited to be talking about this parable tonight because parables give us so many different meanings of god's character and you can read them time and time again and still get something different out of it, a little twist. Yeah. Or if somebody shares their thoughts, you think, wow, I never saw it that way before. Mm. And this, these uh, parables are absolutely inspired. You know, that's the only way you could mention it because it talks tonight, and that's what we're going to concentrate on, is the relationship between the father and the son, between God and the sinner. 
that's what we're concentrating on tonight because the parable goes on a bit further than what you read and talks about the older son. But we want to concentrate on this about this idea of the lost son and the father. And, you know, and it starts off and it says here that the son, he really wanted to get out of the household. Uh, now he was the youngest son. And, uh, as the youngest son, uh, he wasn't, uh, uh, due to get his inheritance till after his father had died. And then the property would be split up between him, the oldest son first, and then him. And it's interesting that, uh, I don't think that the younger son just woke up suddenly one day and said to dad, look, I'm sick of working on the farm here. Uh, I want to get out. I think this is something that's been on his mind for quite a while. And I think that uh, being a Jewish household, I think that he, he looked around and he saw what was happening with the uh, the idols that were around him and the different nationalities that had come into the into the Jewish system. I think that he, he wanted a better life. He was sick of being under the rules of the father. I think he thought his father was probably quite stern and that he was sick of working out in those fields. So the time came when he felt that he wanted to get out of his father's care. He wanted to, uh, to uh, have some money to go out and enjoy himself and he didn't want to obey the rules in in the Jewish household. I think this is the key to why the son wanted to get out. Uh, But what's interesting to me here is that the father lets him. It it says nothing here about him opposing him and, and trying to dissuade him. It says here the father lets him and he lets his son go. Um, so when the son has a way to get out from under his rules, his father allows him because he loves him. Mm. He doesn't hold mm. him back by force. And I think this is, this is talking about a God to us that, yeah. that if we're contrite and, and we're, we're not happy and, and we've got grumblings and, you know, and we want to get out, he, he does let us go so that we learn. He, he does that because he loves us. Mm. And, and so we, and so the and son. And that's actually so important, isn't it, Eric? Because, mm. you know, love, cannot use force. You know, no. sometimes I hear people say, look, you know, why doesn't God act on this particular? But love itself is, the moment it uses force, mm. it actually denies what it's trying to, trying to do. It, it can't, you can't force somebody to love you. No, that's right. And I think it would, it would actually even make things worse. Because when you hold somebody back who wants to do something else, it just creates more problems. There's and it tension. Ex- it escalates yeah. from there. Yep, you're right. So he gives in and he hands his money over to the boy. Uh, and back in those cultures, the extended family stayed together for quite a long period of time. So what we're seeing here is something that really doesn't didn't happen very much at all. Mm. So he gives in, he hands his money to him, and the boy... He, well, he spends no time. He hightails out of the town to the live the life he always wants. One of luxury. You know, we we can be like this with God too, you know. Sometimes we've been in the church so long that we start to, we kind of start to um, kind of just become... Um, blase. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Blase is the word. Yeah. yeah. Or... We become unhappy of following, uh, maybe even the Ten Commandments, doing some of those things. We want to, we want to do things, you know, that the flesh is telling us to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we can be like that too. Um, and, you know, sometimes we can do that and leave the church and go out into the world. Uh, and God calls us, 
keeps on calling us back. But we can be like this boy who just wants to get out and get out from under it all. And uh, we can. And you know, Eric, in reality, I'm conscious of so many, uh, particularly young people, you know, they've been brought up uh, within a maybe a religious family. And uh, you turn and, uh, you know, after a number of years, maybe they go to university, maybe they early professional life, and suddenly they turn around and say, well, no, this isn't for me. And all that mum and dad have tried to instill in them, uh, actually, they, they're they quite happy to, to drop. And uh, they become very much the prodigal son. They may not be just um, um, having eating husks in the world, mm. um, but certainly uh, they, they haven't... Uh, they don't come to understand the uh, the peace, the um, uh, the gifts that God wants to give to His people. They don't have it. They're lacking it. They're missing it. Yeah, and and you know when when we're under the protection of God, we don't realise how fortunate we are. Yeah, that we have yeah. that peace and the blessings that God gives us. It's not until we leave the fold or we move away from God that we suddenly realise where we were and how fortunate we were. Yeah. And yeah. this boy, of course, up to this stage, he's quite happy. He's got all the friends he wants. He's partying. He's spending his money, uh, and but that doesn't last long. And and then he finds out that uh, what he thought were friends weren't really his friends because they desert him. No one will help him now. No one will give him a loan. <laughs> No one will give him some money. He can't go and get finance from the bank. He's got no collateral. He's by himself. How many times have you seen this actually happen? <laughs> well, you can understand that, you know, that this is just something that uh, he he struggles with because he's a young fella and he he doesn't realise, you know, I, when I went, when I left home, uh, I didn't realise what it was like, what responsibility my parents did for me at home. I just took it for granted uh, that the bills were paid and I got fed and I had the clothes. But when you get out and you leave home, you suddenly realise, hey, look, there's a commitment here and, and yeah. suddenly it hits you. So what he'd do, he had to find a job and yeah. he searched around and around and all he could do, he ended up, as you know, looking after pigs. And for a Jewish boy uh, to look after pigs for a Gentile, a citizen of the country, boy, that was the lowest of low. He'd hit the low, yet he still didn't go home to his father. Yeah. He stayed there in that pig pen. He was stubborn and obstinate, and he, 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 maybe he thought that his father was stern. I mean, he must have thought that when he left home, that uh, father had him working in the fields for goodness sake. Well, this sake. has to be an embarrassing thing, hey. I mm. mean, let us face it. I mean, I've said, Father, you know, give me your, your wealth. Let me go, and I've gone and partied. I've wasted your money, yep. and now to actually come home has to be one of the most embarrassing things for that young man that you can possibly imagine. That's right. Oh yes, he would have. He would have definitely been embarrassed. Uh, probably, probably stubborn as well. And um, but in the end, his stomach got the better of him. It tells us in verse sixteen uh, that he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. So there he is, stuck all alone, mm. and he's eating the pig food that he's uh, there with. Um, and then he starts to think back of home. He starts to think of how the servants read. So the question I asked you, Gary, when it says he came to himself, did he go back for the right reason? Why did he go back? It tells me in Scripture here that uh, he said I, he was hungry. He was perishing with hunger. Actually, that's a very good question, Eric, because the reality is it's, uh, it's so easy, isn't it, to do maybe, maybe the right move but for the wrong motive. Now, of course, if in fact he's only going home because he's hungry, I mean, uh, hey, that's, 
that's not a that's an indictment on him. Mm. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when we see a sinner come to Christ, it's not for the same reason every time. Maybe they they're searching for Christ, but I've seen times when somebody's come to church for a meal. Yes. Just to have a yeah. meal, you know, and, and, and fellowship with people because they're lonely. Yes. But that's not the, that's not a wrong reason. That's a yeah. good reason for someone to come to Christ. So, you know, we can, a sinner can come to Christ for, for many, many reasons. And maybe they're trying to, to meet a girl or something. It, it, it doesn't really matter, but they're coming under the power of Jesus Christ. They're coming back to the Father. Yeah, that, that, that's actually incredibly powerful because when you consider that the Father, uh, being the Heavenly Father, He knows all things. He actually knows our motive. He knows the reason why we're actually coming to Him. And yet, uh, to me, one of the things that really jumps out at me is, uh, and I'm probably jumping ahead of you a little bit here, mm-hmm. but when He does come back, uh, to the father, the father doesn't condemn him mm. for possibly wrong motives, but rather he's prepared to do something that, to me, I think is extremely beautiful. Yeah, and he doesn't um, condemn his son at all, actually. Um, but you notice that when the, the boy finally decides to go home, it's because he's starving, not because he's sorry for his hurting father. How many of my father and servants get plenty to eat, he thinks. And while he does rehearse what he'll say to his father, the sins he's committed against him aren't the uppermost thing in his mind, but the food is. That's his motivation yeah. to actually bring him back. And when we're afraid from church and we're often afraid to come back, we might really miss the faith of our youth. And the beautiful things about being in, in a company of a church and, and culturally, uh, you know, you have the happy and warm feelings. He starts to think about... You miss uh, the fellowship. You miss the fellowship. And he's thinking back there of um, of his brother and his fa- uh, father. He's not thinking of the work. He's thinking of the of the good times there, of that companionship and the love that was there. And um, often, um, you know, we come back, but... Sometimes we don't come back with sadness in our heart for the sin we've caused. We're just searching God out because we are being drawn to him. And yet, you know, it's interesting. He does say, you know, I have sinned against you and against heaven. You know, he does recognize that what he's done is actually something that is that is wrong. Well, he starts to rehearse this, I think. I think he's uh, he's saying um, to himself um, uh, that uh, on the way home, he's re- rehearsing his lines. Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I do not deserve to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. I think he's busy repeating this to himself, trying to get it down perfectly, steeling himself to face maybe his father's wrath. Maybe he thinks his father's going to be quite stern with him for mm. what he's done. He's mm. wasted the money, for goodness sake, and he's left his poor brother out in the fields there and uh, suddenly he's nearing home uh, and there he sees the house in the distance and so he picks up the pace and he's thinking about the bread he'll get for supper and his stomach starts rumbling and he keeps rehearsing the lines father i have sinned against you and against Mm. heaven he had his heads down and he keeps putting one foot in front of the other but back at the house, his father catches sight of him on the horizon. Now think about that for a moment. Was the father just happened to be there at the same time that the son appears? Yeah. You know? Or was the father out there every day? I imagine him out there with son. his binoculars sitting uh, <laughs> sitting there, just, you know, through the binoculars. Saying, Where is he? Where is he? You know? Well, I know as a father, you know what I would do if, if one of my boys did this? I actually would send out a couple of people 
if I was a wealthy man, to just to check up, see what's going on with my son. Yeah. Yeah, I want to know where he is, what he's actually doing. Now, I'm not going to bring him back because he's not ready to come back. Yeah. But the father knows where we are. Yeah. And that's the key here. He knows where his son is. Yeah. This is God we're talking about here. He knows how low he's become. Yeah. But he doesn't go and help him. He waits for the son to come back to him. I think yeah. that's an important thing. In other lesson. words, what he's doing is he's respecting his choice. You know, hmm. to me, one of the things that love has to do is to, re- and this is the thing that to me, I think we struggle with, particularly as parents. You know, if you see, you know, a, a child, perhaps if you see, you know, a loved one going the wrong direction, one of the hardest things is to say, hey, you know, I respect their choice, you know, and, and to me, you know, sometimes I know I've actually had, uh, parents, particularly people maybe in this, in their 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, who, who struggle and say, hey, look, you know, I brought up my son, my daughter, uh, to, to love the Lord, and then uh, they'll tell me the story of where they are now. And uh, I can think of people who have, you know, they've adopted a drugs lifestyle. They've done, a, you know, and you'll sort of, uh, they'll share with me, and their heart just goes out to them. You know, I see their heart very much like the Father's heart here. Uh, And yet, uh, ultimately, um, this Father uh, was prepared to say, look, uh, I love you enough to acknowledge your freedom to make decisions. And, you know, to me, that says a great deal to me about the character of the Most High God. He is someone who is prepared to allow even human beings freedom to make a choice and to decide. That's right. And he he doesn't use his love to overpower his son's love. He waits yeah. for the son to return the love to him, to start making the steps yeah. back to him. He's there always. I believe yeah. God's always there for us. He's waiting at the door as we've read, but he's just waiting for that son to make those steps back to him and then then he will come uh, back and help him. It's very interesting because um, the father uh, doesn't wait for the son uh, to get all the way home. You know, he, he's out there. So it tells me here that, okay, the father's watching and waiting. Every day I believe he was out there. Mm. So who's doing all the work? It's the it's the boy in the, in the field. I reckon yeah. that the father had taken time, some time off and was actually praying yeah. For his son to yeah. come home, the yeah. power of prayer. Yeah. Yeah. He was waiting, always watching, never giving up, but yeah. waiting for the son to come back. As any parent would, as any parent would. Look, Eric, let's just have a, let's just stop there just for a moment and we'll get you to pull it together in just, uh, just a few moments. But look, let's come to a, a song. This is uh, Matt Medicus and Josie, uh, Matt and Josie Minicus. And uh, this uh, song is entitled The Confession of a Prodigal. Uh, please enjoy The Confession of a prodigal. Will you accept these filthy rags? I offer them their own dare to touch my gaping sores Could you take me in your arms Could you still call me yours Would you accept such a messed up life 
what I've lived for myself, full of envy and pride. Could you bear to look on my dirty mind? Will you make it pure and whole? Could it be your home? I could make it and expose to the one who knows all I am. With every soul stain I chose, I'm wretched, ashamed, and broken. There are no facades. I'm done running from God. Uh, Matt and Josie Minicus and uh, the song Confession of a Prodigal. And of course, today we're talking about uh, the prodigal, the prodigal father, the parable of the hurting God and the parable of the uh, prodigal son. Same story. 
uh, folks, uh, welcome back. Look, we do have that uh, giveaway book again. Look, if you haven't uh, um, sent uh, sent your details for this uh, this book, you've really missed uh, a good thing. Good news is is that there's still opportunity for you to uh, request this book, uh, and it'll come directly to you. If you'd like the book, The uh, Prodigal Father, uh, Stories of God's Prodigal Grace, this is a real beauty. Uh, the Bible has so many prodigal sons and daughters, but only one. Uh, father who people so misunderstand if you want to get a far better understanding of what the father is really like so many people uh, love Jesus Christ and struggle with the character of the father this book uh, deals with uh, that uh, that particular issue I believe you'll you'll really think this is uh, this book is something uh, something special uh, I'd encourage you if you'd like the book the prodigal father all you need to do is to text us here at our studio text number it's over Four triple eight. 80811 04888811 and just uh, text us the code SA67 SA67 and um, uh, that'll go to our robot he'll get a few details off you and uh, and then that'll come to you by the fastest uh, way way possible I believe you'll really appreciate it now you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary and today our co-host is Eric Hoare and Eric ministers to the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, and uh, today we're talking about the parable uh, of the hurting God. Um, Eric, bring it all together to us. What are the key takeaways from this parable? Well, I think the key takeaway is right at the end here, Pastor Gary, we're going to talk about. So the father's caught sight of his son on the horizon. He sees him at a great distance and the boy hasn't looked up to notice this yet, but the man doesn't wait anymore. His son is coming home. So he leaps up and he starts to run. And this is extremely unusual because authoritative figures back then didn't do all the work. They'd usually send the servant out to run out there. But he himself, God himself, runs out, runs to the boy, runs to the sinner. And while he's saying his lines, he embraces him and uh, puts his arms around him and, and loves him just for coming home. How wonderful is that? This talks yeah. to us about the great love of God for all people. And there he was. Uh, seeing his father, he fell to his knees, this boy, and began rehearsing his line. And his father grabs him and bra- he doesn't even want to let him finish the service. He does not condemn him. He does not bring up what the boy's been doing. Where's the money? Where's what's going on here? He, that is all forgotten. He's just so happy to have him back again. And sometimes in our lives, Pastor Gary, we can do things that that uh, we think that uh, God can't forgive, or maybe we think we've we've gone just too far. Yeah. But it's telling us here in this parable, God doesn't care what we've done. It tells us here that he wants us just to come home, just to come back to him, yeah. and he yeah. will accept us. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. in Christ Objects Lessons, uh, there's a very good uh, passage in there where it says, um, talking about the parable, son, it says, In his restless youth, the prodigal looked upon his father as stern and severe. How different this conception of him now. So those who are deceived by Satan look upon God as hard and exacting. They regard him as watching to denounce and condemn, as unwilling to receive the sinner as long as there is a legal excuse for not helping him. Mm -hmm. His law they regard as a restriction upon men's happiness, a burdensome yoke from which they are glad to escape. But he whose eyes have been opened by the love of Christ 
will behold God as full of compassion. He does not appear as as ruthless, a re- relentless being, but as a father longing to embrace his repenting son. The sinner will exclaim with the psalmist, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Psalms 103, 13. So yeah. this is the picture of God. This is God's love. Yeah. It's so yeah. powerful. This is a, a wonderful part of the parable that's talking to us as sinners. We are all sinners. Yeah. That God wants us to be with him, and it doesn't matter what we've done. He won't remember that. He doesn't want to condemn us. He wants us to be in a relationship with him yeah. that we will see him as a merciful and forgiving God. You know, Eric, one time so I, uh, I I will remember I was actually uh, talking, I'd, I'd actually preached on a, on a similar subject to this, and uh, uh, one of the, the, the church leaders uh, came uh, came up to me and uh, and said, uh, you know, Gary, the uh, um, Jesus in the New Testament I get, but I have to admit uh, he said, the, uh, the God of the Old Testament, the God who we call Father, I don't get him. Uh, you know, because it, the picture he had of God was actually so different to the picture that uh, he had of Jesus Christ. But when you consider it, uh, what we've actually got here is Jesus is telling a story about the Father, mm. the Father's love. And in in this parable, we're actually being told, we're being instructed by Christ, this is what the Heavenly Father is what. This, this is what he is like. This is how I want you to regard him. He's not, uh, he's not one who is oppressive. He's not one who's going to be down on you. Uh, he's one who is pleading. I see a pleading voice here uh, where God is saying, hey, my children, Hey, you've made mistakes. You've gone a long way away. You know, I'm conscious today. You know, in all probability, we've got people listening to us today. Now, I'll be really surprised if there's not someone somewhere uh, who is not uh, struggling uh, with something that they've done, uh, possibly just very recently, Some sometimes a long, long uh, time ago. How would you actually respond to that type of situation, Eric? Well, I would say to them that understand from this parable that God is waiting for them to come back to him, is to not be worried about um, the reaction from God, that God is God is the one, we can't under, really understand his love. His love is so strong that in our, our minds we would condemn people for what yeah, you and I yeah, have done. Yeah. But God hasn't doesn't do that. He, yeah. he is a God full of mercy and compassion. I remember once uh, Pastor Gary in my literature evangelism in New Zealand where I went into a home and uh, a, a young lady came to the door and she, uh, I said, told her what I was uh, doing. I was selling Bibles and I showed her a big Bible. She come with me and she actually took me through and there was this big married guy sitting in bed full of covered with tattoos and uh, he he saw the Bible and he asked for it and I took it over and he put it on his lap and he looked at it and he, he basically almost started crying you know he said I've always wanted to know what God wants me to know through his Bible through his word but I've done so many wrong things in my life I just don't know how to approach him I don't yeah. know how to come yeah. to him yeah. and so we had a conversation and I said look you know the thing is, all you have to do is just drop on your knees and say, Lord, forgive me for what I have done. Yeah. I recognize you as the son of God, and I said he will come into your life. Yeah. 
And yeah. that, that was the most powerful thing. And he, he went on, he said, I want to do Bible studies. I want to know more, mm-hmm. but I've been too scared to go along. I, I, I don't feel I can belong in a church. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is that you can go to God wherever you are today and just drop on your knees. In other words, I'm prepared. I want to stay away from God because I'm just too ashamed to come to God. And so many people are cut off from God for that very reason. Uh, you know, Eric, I'm just wondering, how would you like to pray, you know, if there's somebody listening to to us today that uh, may be struggling with this very issue, would you pray for that person? Sure. Yes. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And tonight, Lord, we thank you for being part of our lives We thank you, Lord, for all the peace and the happiness that you bring to us, for your instruction, for your love, most of all, Lord, your love that knows no bounds. And tonight, Lord, we've read about you. We understand more of your character, Lord, that you are there to forgive, that you're waiting there for us to come home. And I pray, Lord, if there is anyone tonight, Lord, who is struggling, who is fearful to come to God tonight, if you've maybe there's somebody that's done something bad or something's happened to them and they've lost their way, maybe they are struggling and they've got lots of questions, I pray, Lord, that right now they will drop on their knees and they will say, Lord, forgive me for what I have done wrong. Lord, I love you. I understand that you love me and I want to come to you tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you'll put your hand upon them right now. Accept them, Lord, and may they come to know you more and more, we pray. Thank you for your wonderful love, Lord. We thank you that you're a father that came to save and not to condemn. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Eric Hoare on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when we'll be sharing with Pastor David Butcher. It's wonderful to have David uh, back with us and uh, really appreciate the insights that he brings. Really look forward uh, to being with you tomorrow. But until then, please remember, Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. 